0: Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors.
1: Hey folks, Jason Bond and the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Jeff's here this morning. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. Tom is here too. Good morning. You saw what I did there, Tom? I introduced Jeff first. You did. That was my new take on the Tom Allen intro.
2: Can't exactly come up with anything yet. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs)
1: That's fine. That's my creativity coming out.
2: He knows who he owes. I do, in fact, yeah. The the person (laughs) to my left.
1: (laughs) Uh All right, so for those of you watching on video, that was very
2: clear. For those of you just listening. (laughs) If if you don't (laughs) stop talking about that video, people are going to start asking. It's like Kramer walking in and asking Jerry where he stored the extra buns, and Jerry said in the extra closet. And Kramer says, we have an extra closet? (laughs) No, we don't. There's there's no video. Y'all don't pay good enough for... (laughs) <laughs> to do video, <laughs>
1: this is a pretty low-paying job. On editing podcasts and editing audio and video is not something that I'm interested in. So we're going to stick with the audio.
0: You may need to learn that skill one day, though. Could come in handy.
1: It's possible, but I don't think that day is today. <laughs> no, it's not. Jeff Texas last night and said that he wanted to talk about rice, and so we're going to do that. And, Jeff, before we start, if you had to weigh an elephant and you didn't have a scale, how would you weigh that elephant?
0: I would imagine there's some length by girth measurements you could take and calculate it. (laughs)
1: Okay. I have no idea. Tom, do you have any idea how you would weigh an elephant without a scale?
2: I'd say dump it in the creek and try to measure how much you had the water displaced. But that might not necessarily be as effective as what I was trying to wrap my head around real quickly there.
0: I bet I can make a guess. Uh,
2: Well, what's the density of an elephant? You kind of need to know how
1: dense the elephant is, don't you? I would
0: say uh, an elephant weighs more than a horse-sized duck.
1: Nice. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Gore listens to the podcast. (laughs) Jeff wanted to talk about rice water weevils this morning, so he'd been getting several questions about that over the last few days since it stopped raining. After last week, so we're recording this. Uh, I guess we're. It's been about a week since it last rained here after the the big flooding rain that we got. Jeff had started getting some questions, so we just want to sit down and talk about rice in general, and then
2: specifically address the questions that Jeff had. Quiet on my front. I mean, I could almost make that statement for lots of lots of crops. Not a lot of questions as related to specific disease issues, however. The question regarding propiconazole has certainly been a pretty important topic, being is that the EU has now clamped down on that and essentially has a zero tolerance for any residue on food crops, and rice fits in that situation. But the conversation that I've had with most people that have called about that, as of right now, the concerns are only peanut and rice. And essentially, most of the concern was, well, if they've clamped down on propiconazole, that That really limits the the over-the-top foliar application of fungicides because the bulk of the products that we used to manage things like sheath blight or kernel smut or false smut all contained propoconazole. And what I've tried to impress upon folks is the products that contain different triazoles will be just as effective on kernel smut and definitely as effective on something like sheath blight just because you do have that general QOI or strobelearn compound in there. So changing that may not necessarily be all that difficult, although there is definitely some questions to consider there from a standpoint of availability, what products they'll be able to get a hold of, and then general rates will, of course, be what's contained on that label. Propiconazole by
1: itself has traditionally been sold as tilt, right? Correct. So that one
2: targets mainly smut. Correct. Even though it has sheath blight on the label, propiconazole yeah. is not an outstanding product. Yeah, we, for ha- we haven't relied on it. No, for sheath blight we've control. We've relied on it mostly for kernel smut and any of those head-based. Yeah. So we've mainly used organisms. premixed products, correct,
1: just to kind of broaden the spectrum.
2: Correct. And that's predominantly stratego but if you look down the list that would be basically quilt quilt excel avaris avaris 2xs stratego and i'm sure i'm forgetting one there probably some generic compounds that would most likely contain propiconazole because that has been the most widely used triazole in the bulk of our row crop system in mississippi
0: the issue with that it's still legal to use those products in the U.S. I mean, there's still a label in the U.S. But if somebody sprays their rice and it gets on on a ship that ends up in Europe and they test test it and it has propiconazole, they're going to reject that shipload of rice, correct?
2: That's correct.
0: That's a tough situation.
2: It's a very tough situation because I don't know that we can plan for that final destination
0: I would think that that's going to create a a situation where whoever's shipping it out is going to have to start testing loads that are going to e u costing them extra money that's right.
1: the farmer has no i start to say liability, but liability is probably too formal a word, but like you said he's legal to use it. I mean there's no repercussion on him for using it. It's going to be downstream from him at some point which can get complicated. And then you have the whole sampling issue where you know you pull a sample and I pull a sample out of the same load, just out of a different part of the, the ship or the barge or the truck, and you can get very different results. Yep. I mean, we see that with
2: Aflatoxin yeah, all the time, Tom. That's definitely where my mind was moving towards is that's a random sample and it depends upon where that's gathered. And whoever gathers that, that's just the randomness in that sample when they grab that.
0: Yeah. The bottom line is, though, it's not worth the risk to risk disrupting global trade, I guess.
2: No, that's exactly right. And that's, it's not a label change. Like you said, those products are still legally allowed to be applied to that crop. It may just reduce the final selling point of that particular load of rice, depending upon what they've done to that in the field.
0: So what are some of the substitute products for that, Tom?
2: Your main product that would contain something that has a triazole would be Amistar top. So that would be dipheniconazole, which is a, a Syngena product that has just as good an efficacy on kernel smut, false smut, and any of those, those head-based organisms. That would be the main one that comes to mind and is effective on sheath blight as well. Unfortunately, that basically limits the number of products that you can talk about because the bulk of everything that we've applied prior to 2021 has contained propiconazole.
1: So if conditions are right for the disease pyramid and we just use a strobular and then we could see those head diseases proliferate a little bit this year.
2: That's right. Those specific organisms and the way they infect typically occurs in an excruciatingly narrow window in overall rice development that typically revolves around flowering so you're trying to reduce the amount of inoculum that's present prior to that because you have strange fungal reproductive structures that are produced and we'll just leave it at that from a biological standpoint if your environment shifts after making that application you can still get some of those propagules present to produce disease which is always the confusing thing because Everybody typically looks at the plant pathologist and says, Well, hey, we put the fungicide on, we still got disease. And usually my response is, Well, imagine how much you might have had if you put nothing on. It reduces the risk of infection and doesn't take your level of infection to zero. Did you like how I worked disease pyramid into this talk?
0: You did. C- I, I wish there had been a camera in here so everybody could have seen Tom's face light up when you said tr- well said
2: pyramid. <coughs> I did that because Jason's been harping on me now since mm, circa February maybe. It, it, he had said I thought disease triangle, and I had said pyramid. So we've gone back and forth now yep. since February.
0: Tom just keeps tossing them up there, and I keep cranking them out of the park. Yeah, he does. <laughs> We all learned disease triangle when I was in school. Yeah,
2: but the triangle doesn't include the the factor of time, which is pretty important.
0: Which means Tom lives in a 3D world. Wow. Makes me sound more complex
2: than <laughs> what I am. All right, Jason. Obviously, there are still some questions regarding weed control in the rice crop as it stands right now. So what types of things are you getting from telephone calls and the conversations you've had over the past week? Well, it's been
1: light in general all year for rice it's a great crop out there we were off to a good start a lot of times when you have lower acres that happens because you have the i guess the guys that that historically grow rice and you have a really strong system down and and so we oftentimes get off to a a real good start we kind of got two crops we got a early crop so rice that's mid-season or thereabouts so give or take A week on either side of mid-season depending on planting date and then you got little rice I think there's less of that uh, than there is the bigger rice but I haven't had a lot of questions you know related to weed control so it's been knock on wood it's been pretty easy so far for me in rice there's gonna be some questions you know as the water continues to go down you know there's some possible replants out there I've, I've had maybe a conversation so far about that possibility but some of those fields still have water on them even today
2: and so those decisions aren't made yet yeah i drove by one yesterday and i won't say call it out geographically that had really young rice that was predominantly underwater
1: yeah and you know, driving around last week that and i by no means went everywhere that flooded but i made a i made a decent circle And this was midweek, so before the last, I guess, two big rounds of rain on Wednesday afternoon and into Thursday, and a lot of that rice that was flooded was small. Those roads that I drove down where I could see rice, it was small, which obviously doesn't take it as well as bigger rice. So there's still some moving parts out there that remain to be seen. And
0: when you say flooded, you mean not intentionally flooded?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, flooded... Flooded from the rain event that we had last week. Yeah, not management flood. So speaking of flood, Jeff, why don't you tell folks, you know, what you've been hearing about weevils and related to the flood.
0: Apparently that rainfall event, I'd been hearing about some weevils previously, but it just seems like the last few days, maybe it's the fact that people weren't really thinking about insects last week because of all the rain. But it seems like that rain really kicked off a flush of, of adult rice water weevils. And so I've gotten several texts and calls just in the last couple of days about real high numbers of adults in rice fields and both flooded and flooded from a management standpoint and fields that aren't flooded, maybe even row rice fields and in, in some different scenarios. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of. With weevils right now, there's a whole lot of moving parts of what to do and, you know, a lot of questions to ask in these different situations. But what I'm hearing is just people finding a whole lot of scarring. I think even Reed, one of your graduate students, Jason, said that y'all have a bunch of scarring in your rice right after that rain. And I think, you know, in a, in a lot of situations, it's, it's not what we're seeing right now is not a big concern For the majority of the acres, especially anything that's already been at flood for at least two weeks or more. At that point, that rice is going to be so tolerant to rice water weevils that you don't even really need to be concerned with them. And then in, in some of the row rice that we have out there where we got water on those fields that's draining off now, it attracted weevils into that field that did a lot of feeding those adults may have laid some eggs, but the chances are in the majority of those row rice fields and a big portion of them, those larvae are never going to survive to a point where they're going to cause economic damage. The only place where they are still an issue are in those fields that are just about to go to flood or, or have been flooded up within the last week or so. You know, we recommend pretty much on all of our acres having a seed treatment, regardless of what that seed treatment is. One of the Neonics, either Cruiser or Nipset or one of the Diamides, Tenza or Dermacor. And pretty much everything has one of the Neonics on it. And we actually have a fair amount of rice this year with Diamides on it. Um, The last I heard, the estimate was somewhere around 20,000 acres of hybrid rice with and I think there's a little dermacore scattered around here and there. And so what I've been telling folks is even with these real high weevil numbers, if they only have a neonic on the seed with the conditions that a lot of this rice has gone through, I mean, it's really been fairly cool this year, the rice is been growing slow it's taken a little longer to get to flood and we've had a lot of rain obviously in those situations with just a neonic i would definitely consider as you go to flood when you put out that herbicide application uh, mix a pyrethroid in it to take out those adults and it's going to save some headaches down down the road in a month or so if you've got one of the diamides on the seed it either for tens or dermacore you know all of our data shows and and i'm confident that those insecticides you're going to hold are a lot less water soluble and they just stay there and do a really good job in a lot of harsh situations.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong you had kind of over the past few years you kind of moved away from that pyrethroid application with the pre-flood and now this year basically just extenuating circumstances with the length of time from planting to flood kind of just your seed treatment playing out.
0: Well we had moved away from it when the seed treatments came out, but one of the things that we learned pretty quick with those neonics is anything that basically slows us down during that seedling stage can reduce the efficacy of the the seed treatments. Yeah. And so the pyrethroid sprays we've essentially recommended them in certain situations.
1: And I meant as a general recommendation, you had moved away from the pyrethroid with the Basically, the new right. effective, yeah. more effective seed treatments, yeah. and I think we definitely have acres that spent an extended amount of time, kind of in that pre-flood growth stage. It just took you we know, got planted early, and it just took a while to get up to the growth stage. And you know, just no heat unit accumulation at all. Yep.
0: Or even even in years when it gets when we have a really dry spring and we have to flush the rice once or twice before we ever go to flood, just to irrigate it. You know those situations just that massive amounts of water like that yeah is going to dilute that insecticide essentially is what what happens
1: what do you think about the flood and the weevils i mean did we push them out of off of a host
0: somewhere for the most part i mean they are going to be in aquatic situ or semi-aquatic situations so they're going to be Feeding on grasses in ditches and different places like that, you know, low-lying areas that hold water for a long period of time, and so it, it could just be the fact that there were a lot out there in ditches and other places, and you know, all those ditches have been full, yeah, for about a week now, um, and probably just pushed them out uh, out of those ditches and into the rice fields. Which rice is is their preferred host? They're going to go to rice when it's at the right stage and when it has water on it. And
1: then you know, with lower acres, we may be congregating. Yep. Some too, make
2: it a little yep. bit more intense.
0: Yep, absolutely. That's always an issue. But
2: wouldn't you have thought the cooler temperatures would have slowed down general life cycles within that insect, or is that not really factored into that this year?
0: No, it does, but I mean that can also contribute to more weevils staying at certain stages for a longer period of time and basically just stacking up. I don't know if that really makes sense.
2: No, I think that makes perfect sense. So, so you probably had more adults present at a point in time when you we weren't necessarily accustomed to having them present. Yeah,
0: it's been cool, so they just hadn't been dispersing a lot and hadn't been laying as many eggs, and now all of a sudden we get a whole bunch of rain that pushes them out of those ditches, and it's gotten pretty dang hot the last few days. So they're probably moving around a whole lot more right now than they were when it was cooler.
1: Jeff, what about stink bugs? So we've got rice that's not there yet, but with the heat we'll be there before we know it. So any have you had any indication thus far about, you know, where we might be at on stink bugs?
0: Yeah, the one thing I've been out of school for A long a time. long time now. <laughs> <laughs> about the same amount of
1: time I, and, Tom and I have been out, which is and, a and, long time.
0: And been doing this for a while, and the one thing I learned is when you start making predictions about insects...
1: You're going to get made to look foolish?
0: Yeah. They're all yeah, wrong.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's all
0: right. And, and you know, that's okay. I, I do a lot of things that make me look foolish, so I'll go ahead and throw it out there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we've had some indications. You know, we had more wheat this year and we had a lot of rye grass around and uh we got a lot of calls and talked to a lot of folks and you know just some of our ditch bank surveys there was a lot of rice stink bugs around this spring um they seem and it seems like after we have a point during a winter whether the whole winter's real cold or we just get a cold snap through the winter like we had this year, that rice stink bugs tend to be worse following those cold winters. So I'd say the potential is definitely there that we're going to spray a lot of rice acres for rice stink bugs this year.
1: Well, I mean, you got observations over time that indicate that. So it's at least something for folks to keep in mind as we get into those growth stages yeah. and, and keep an eye out for yeah, Tom. One
0: wh- one thing we learned about rice stink bug is that Italian ryegrass is a real key in the life cycle of that insect. Wheat's important but wheat becomes wheat hits a point where it's no longer attractive fairly early in the spring. And, you know, historically, there just wasn't a lot of host out there after wheat. But ryegrass just seems to kind of hang on and keep heading and producing seed. And it's a critical host during that late spring, early summer period. And we've got a bunch of ryegrass around this year.
1: I'm sorry, we'll try to do better. (laughs) (laughs) Tom, what about diseases? I know that's about as unpredictable as... As the insects are, but you have any
2: idea, especially given the flood? In the years that I've been here, which number about as many as you've been here and as many as Jeff has been here for the most part, we've not really factored much into how that plays out for the rest of the season. There are lots of other variables that have to really fit into that system to to cause that disease issue, but I will say... You know, in years past, leaf blast has certainly become the one question that we start to get probably over the next couple of weeks as we get towards the end of June, beginning of July. It's difficult to diagnose that in the field unless you know exactly what you're looking at. And there are so many additional variables that can injure that leaf that will look a lot like leaf blast. And when we've gone out and looked for that in the past, we tend to focus on those parts of fields where maybe the flood has been a little more difficult to maintain at that proper height. And that would be some of the first places that I would consider uh, folks start to look. Uh, and if you see a lot of blast type lesions on leaves, then that could be more than likely what it is. You know, send those pictures. I, I struggle with those myself sometimes just because it, it can be difficult to see what you want. Uh, but if you end up with something that's actually cooperating and producing spores, it's pretty easy then to to look at that in the lab. The last thing I do really want to touch on is there have been some questions about uh, fungicide resistance development within the sheath blight organism and to date we've only run across one particular field location that was somewhere sunflowerish county is about all that I'll say that that did in fact have strobilurin resistant or QOI resistant Rhizoctonia solani which is the sheath blight fungus. Uh, and in that particular situation, they were making multiple applications of a product that contained a strobilurn in single seasons, and that definitely is one of those situations where that would stack up and be more of a concern, or at least more of a concern for the development of that particular fungicide resistance occurring in that particular field system, and of course they'd, they'd had several years of continuous rice in that field as well, which, are, which is definitely um, there are things that you can do from a cultural standpoint and rotation has been the one that I've had lots of conversations about this spring because we need to do a really good job of rotating and, and moving away from rice for a season, at least a season, two seasons would be better to put something like soybeans in there. And I know that, that then the question had become, well, the sheep blight fungus will also go to soybean? And it does. And you get aerial web light in those particular situations. but. That's a pretty rare uh, disease occurrence in the Delta, just because of wide open field situations and a lot more air movement. Bigger disease concern, kind of south of I-20, and in East Mississippi, so east of 55 and smaller field situations than it is in the Delta proper. As always, we would like to thank our regular listeners to the podcast, and certainly we'll be continuing to bring you up-to-date current information as things develop throughout the remainder of the ROCOP season for 2021. Thanks for Jeff bringing the topic up and coming to sit down with us this morning.
0: Glad to be here. The
1: Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.